the hell is going on? What's really going on? We said, what the hell happened? You don't have to know what the hell is on it. They see what's going on. I don't know what's going on. What is going on? We must find out what is going on. Hi, I'm Mark Deason. And I'm Danielle Pleitka. And welcome to our still new podcast, What the Hell is Going On? What the hell is going on? I can't keep track what's, nowadays. What's going on is trade wars, Danny. <laughs> we're in war. Are we really? We I, are. I, I feel like we're not. Well, I feel like, well, yeah, well I don't know what. Yeah, we are. I, I don't know what wars. I feel like, but we are talking about trade. We're talking about tariffs, and we're talking about the biggest T of them all, Donald Trump. There you go. So you claim that we're in the midst of uh, with the Republican Party's moving towards protectionism. Yeah, well, I think the Republican Party is sort of having some 1930s nostalgia. I mean, look at look at who we've imposed tariffs on. We've imposed tariffs on Canada. We've imposed tariffs on. We've threatened them on Mexico. We've imposed them on the European Union. I get all our China, enemies. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Donald J. Trump. Uh, my point here, I think, is that there's a case for for tariffs with China where we can really sit down and have an intelligent conversation with people who I believe are free traders, and we're going to understand that there really is not a free trade situation going on there. When we talk about Canada, which is one of our biggest destinations for exports, when we talk about the European Union, largest source of foreign investment in the United States, I'm a little more confused. Yeah, well, I understand that, but we're all, we're also in the main target of our trade war and our tariffs is China, and I think everybody agrees. I think across the bipartisan spectrum of it, uh, that China is mistreating us on the trade front. They're stealing our intellectual property. They are forcing American companies to give over trade secrets in price of doing business. They are putting up non-trade barriers to non-tariff barriers to trade with subsidies and yeah, the rest okay. of it that make it impossible to compete. And Chuck Schumer, you know, when Donald Trump announced these tariffs on, on China, Chuck Schumer said, stay firm. When's the last time Chuck Schumer tweeted support for Donald Trump? So there is bipartisan support for getting tough with China. Can, can I just say, yeah. by the way, that a barometer of Donald Trump being a good guy should not be whether <laughs> Chuck Schumer agrees with him. I, just, you know, putting that out there as a little PS. Yeah, again, look, we totally agree about the fact that the Chinese are not fair players. And I think that that's a very reasonable argument to make. But if you think about the last election, we had a presidential candidate from the Democratic Party and a presidential candidate from the Republican Party, and both of them opposed expanding free trade uh, agreements with the European Union, with our Asian allies, not including China. You know, I'm not sure that's the right direction for us. Well, you know what? We're going to talk about all of this with Senator Rob Portman, who's going to be with us in a minute. And then afterwards, we're going to come back and have a little bit of a debate on this, because you and I disagree about the use of About tariffs. everything. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You and I disagree about the use of tariffs as a, as a tool, both for trade and for non-trade issues. I, I tend to be a little bit more in line with the president on this and supportive of what the president's doing. But also, there's a fundamental issue which we've got to get to, which is that in the 2016 election, the American people and a large segment of the American population, working class people, stood up and said, the Republican free traders are not fighting for me. The Democrat Party is not fighting for me. The establishments of both those parties. And I'm going to elect Donald Trump because he says he's going to fight for me. And you and I are both Republicans. And I'm kind of a conservative, but okay. Uh, but, okay. But, we, you know, we, I think Sorry, we need Mark. to take that. I don't think we need to listen to those people. And I think that if we want to preserve free trade, because we both agree that free trade has 
dramatically reduced global poverty. It's dramatically increased the wealth of the American people. It's a good thing. It's but the reason people, why you can still afford your iPhone. But it, there, barely, but by there the are way, people in this country who are being hurt by unfettered free trade and whose jobs, you know, we, we, you always hear people say, well, you know, TPP, Trans-Pacific Partnership, no net job loss. Well, if you're working at the factory in Lordstown, Ohio, it's a net job loss for you when your shit when your plant shuts down. And we have to, if we want to preserve the free trade system, we got to find a way to preserve free trade while also taking care of those people. And 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 just more trade adjustment right. authority isn't going to do. Listen, it. we got to pay attention to people who feel like they're left behind. If there are losers in a situation, they deserve attention too. They deserve representation. You and I don't disagree at all. I also think we've totally left out the new NAFTA. That's, I'm sorry, I'm never going to call it anything but new NAFTA. USMCA. Yeah, that thing. Uh, So we also need to talk about the USMCA. We've got the perfect guest joining us today. We went to Capitol Hill to interview Senator Portman in his office. And one of the great things about Senator Portman is that he's a Republican. He was a former U.S. trade representative. And so he's negotiated these deals. But he's from a state of Ohio, which has a large population of those working class voters who voted for Donald Trump and put Donald Trump in the White House. So he's going to tell us a lot about both what China is doing, why we're upset with China, and also what the solutions are. He was also the head of the Office of Management and Budget, so he knows a lot about where our money goes and how it gets spent. He's a great guest for us. Here's our conversation. Senator, welcome to the podcast. We're called What the Hell is Going On? I like that name, Mark. Thank you. Thank you. We're always asking ourselves <laughs> in this administration what the hell is going on. So our question for you is what the hell is going on in China? And specifically, the, the president says that China's taking advantage of us. For our listeners who don't follow trade that closely, tell us about China's bad behavior and how it's hurting America, what the problem is that we're addressing. Well, thank you, Mark. It's a great question, and we need to talk about that. You know, starting in 2001, China came into the world order, the world trading order, through uh, the permanent most favored nation, PNTR. And everyone thought, well, that's good because China, a formerly communist economy, is going to become more market-oriented. And frankly, over the next decade, they made progress in that regard. But now they have kind of been backsliding. And particularly under President Xi, they have said, you know, they're going to have what they have called the techno-nationalism effort, where, you know, made in China 2025 is an example, that they're going to lead the world in technology and so on. And they're doing it through means that are not consistent with the international rules, including stealing other countries' intellectual property, particularly ours, because we have been the leader in a lot of this. So I, I think it's, you know, it's time for us to have this, this moment of reckoning with China. And that's why I've supported the administration with regard to their 301 case. There are three major issues. One is, obviously, the total imbalance in terms of trade. In other words, we have a huge trade deficit, the biggest in the world, with China. Second is this notion of tech transfer, intellectual property being stolen. Simple things like changing their joint venture rules would help, where if you want to invest in China, you've got to have a joint venture partner, 51% Chinese often. And what happens is they take the intellectual property from that company, by the way, sometimes set up a Chinese company to compete. And eventually, of course, that U.S. company is pushed out. And I can tell you a number of stories from Ohio companies that have experienced that, not just not being able to compete in China, but then globally stealing that intellectual property and using it to outcompete, you know, our, our workers here in America. And then third is this issue of subsidies. I mentioned earlier that China was making progress toward more market-oriented economy, uh, some backsliding now, well, specifically with regard to state-owned enterprises and even companies that aren't state-owned but are being heavily subsidized in one way or another. Sometimes it's energy, sometimes it's labor, sometimes it's a, it's a direct subsidy on the exports. We've won some good trade cases against China. There's a 269% tariff on uh, 
rolled steel from China right now because you know we were able to prove that they were cheating. But that doesn't solve these underlying structural problems. So it was time to kind of say, okay, China, you're a mature trading partner. You're a huge trading partner with us. You take advantage of that because we have a great market here. Let's now come into the world trading order. It'll be better for everybody. When I was at USTR, and I was USTR back in back in the day, U.S. trade representative, US trade representative I, I focused on these issues, and I said, you know, we want this to be not only an, an equitable relationship, but also one that can be sustained over time. So I think it's in China's interest, actually, to go through this process of really changing the structure so that it's consistent with the international rules. And by the way, every country in the world is watching this. <laughs> And the vast majority of them agree with us, mm-hmm. and uh, in, in a way, you know, they're kind of holding our coat while we're in there in the fight. And one thing I've talked to the administration about is we need to internationalize this more. I mean, why isn't Japan and the, the European Union, and for that matter, India and Brazil and other countries involved with this? Because they they all have the same issues. Well, they and everybody in Washington agree with the, with the case against China, but not everybody agrees with the idea of putting massive tariffs on China, mm-hmm. having a trade mm-hmm. war. There's a lot mm-hmm. of discomfort with that. Is the president's tactics correct? Uh, it's a blunt tactic uh, or a blunt instrument to use increasing tariffs because when you do that, obviously you are impacting U.S. consumers and also U.S. exporters. And the problem we have right now is that China is pulling back on its purchases of U.S. products. So take soybeans from Ohio as an example. You know, prices are bad right now. The weather has been problematic. And yet Ohio farmers are also finding they're losing their single biggest international market. Now, one-third of our soybeans in Ohio get exported. And the price of soybeans is determined largely by the international markets. If they aren't there, the price plummets. The largest single market is China. So that's an example where we're losing out as Americans by having these tariffs. On the other hand, it is a tactic. It's not a strategy. It's not an objective. And at the end of the day, you've got to be able to pull off those tariffs because that's going to hurt American consumers and American exporters otherwise. Again, one thing I've suggested to the administration while supporting their 301 efforts is not just internationalize it more, but also let the Chinese know that if there is an agreement, if we can come up with agreements on these tougher structural issues, yes, the tariffs will be removed. I mean, that has to be the agreement. And you probably saw in recent days, earlier this week and late last week, China saying just that, well, we're willing to go back into these talks, but we have to have a commitment that the tariffs are going to come off if we reach an agreement. My point to USTR has been very simple and to the administration generally which is you're going to get a better agreement from China if you agree to remove those tariffs. By the way, if they don't follow through, which they often don't, in my experience, you know, they make commitments and sometimes they don't keep all those commitments in terms of trade, you can always reimpose tariffs and use it again through 301, which is part of our law. It, by the way, may be challenged in the WTO, this very case, but we're able to move forward under a 301 because this is a fairness issue. We can reimpose if they do not do the follow-through that they've committed to in terms of changing some of these structural things. So let's allow them to, as some would say, save face. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's allow them to have a victory, which would be to say that if we come up with this agreement that we were apparently 90% of the way there on, then of course we're going to get rid of these tariffs so that both countries can benefit from a more equitable and sustainable trade relationship. So here's the thread that 
I mean, there's just a ton of threads for us to pull out of this, and I want to hit on all of them actually, because there's the broader well, there's the broader question, right? Mark, you and I have argued about this as well, of of tariffs as a tool. The president seems to view them as a hammer, and pretty much everybody as a nail. That's number one. But number two is actually just to stay with China a second. So we have a scholar at AEI, Derek Scissors, who's written a lot about this, and I'm sure you've seen his work. And what Derek says is, what we need China to do is something that is anathema to the Chinese Communist Party rule. In other words, we need them to stop subsidizing state-owned enterprises. We need them to have their own innovation and not to steal, because that is the, where the vast mass of the energy of the Chinese economy comes from, is theft, not just change from us. Industrial but policy. They, we need to change their industrial policy. We have a whole series of things. You know, it reminds me of, remember Mike Pompeo's 12 points for Iran? And you look at those 12 points, and if the Iranian regime executed them, well, they wouldn't be the Iranian regime anymore. This is the problem for China on trade, is that the things that they need to do are the things that make them the Chinese Communist Party and make Xi Jinping the leader. What Derek says we ought to do is we ought to be stepping back. We ought to have a separation from China as part of the global economy, and that's the direction we ought to be moving in. What do you think about that? Well, I'm not sure exactly what he means by that. I think there has been a stepping back already, and I think it's unfortunate because I do think that, you know, again, we're two large economies, the largest in the world. They're going to surpass us, by the way, in terms of the growth of their economy uh, being faster than ours. It would have already happened, but for the fact that we've had good economic growth in the last couple of years. So we've got to figure out a way to work together, and it can be mutually beneficial. So I guess I don't agree that they can't make these changes. Some will be tough, no question about it, including state-owned enterprises. But, Danny, let's think about what we're asking. We're not saying that they cannot have for their internal market purposes you know, more control over their economy than we have. What we're saying is when you're going to export something to the United States to compete directly with American workers or American service providers or American farmers, it can't be subsidized because that's counter to all of the rules of international trade. Or not, stolen. Not just our rules. Or stolen. I mean, and that's, again, that's a global rule. It's not about the United States. Every country wants to protect their IP. And again, I would make the argument that this is in China's interest. Why? They now have innovators, too. They now have inventions, too. They now have entrepreneurs, too, who I, I can guarantee you want to see their intellectual property protected. And if the Chinese government refuses to protect intellectual property, they've evolve to the stage where it affects them directly. So I think you don't throw in the towel. I think instead you push this, not just because it's in our interest, but because it's in their interest, ultimately, in terms of the sustainability of a long-term relationship here where we're not enemies, we're competitors. And I worry that if we separate totally and go on our own tracks and not push this, that you know, it becomes more like the Cold War. We don't want that. We actually want to have a healthy, competitive trade relationship. And it's Obviously, it's well beyond trade. Yeah. So what's a good outcome of these negotiations? What, what would constitute a success with these people? What's what, the last 10%? Yeah. Right? yeah. But some people say what they're, what they're worried about is that Trump's going to cut a deal because he wants a victory because he likes to claim victories and, and, mm -hmm. and win, right? Because we're winning all the time. But, but he might give away too much in that victory. Yeah. What, 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 what are the red lines of it? Like, and by the way, when you answer that question, mm -hmm. pull in the Huawei example, because yeah. that's really a perfect thing where you see he pulls back and then he changes his mind and then he pulls back. And mm -hmm. it does cause some confusion it for normal confusion. folks yeah. out there, not to speak of the rest of us. Yeah. I think the big question, Mark, is going to be, per your question, whether he is happy, the president and the administration is happy with China making commitments to purchase more U.S. products. 
because that would help with regard to the trade imbalance. You know, we send them, what, around $190 billion a year. They send us around, I don't know, $580 billion a year. So there's a huge trade imbalance. And some, some have said, including, frankly, some administration officials who went over there early on, I'm talking a couple years ago, this is great. They're going to buy more LNG, liquefied natural gas. They're going to buy more soybeans. That's all we need here. That'll balance the trade. That's good. We want them to do that. That's the but least again, important issue. It doesn't get at the structural problems we just talked yeah. about. It doesn't get at the substance issues. It doesn't get at the tech transfer issues, the IP issues. So an, an agreement has to include those structural issues, in my view. By the way, the good news is that Bob Lighthizer and Secretary Mnuchin, he's the U.S. Trade Representative and Secretary of Treasury, Treasury, they they both agree with that. And USTR Lighthizer, in particular, is very focused on the structural issues. Mm -hmm. So I want an agreement, and and I want a good agreement. I think that's going to require, as I said earlier, internationalizing this more so that China feels more isolated. And second, the agreement that tariffs will be relieved when this agreement comes together. But I think it has to include, so that's what what to watch for. Let me give you a specific example. Licensing agreements, where if you want to do business in China, you have to license your technology, but then gets into the government, and the government takes that technology. Joint ventures, I mean, that's a law that can be changed. And I have a, uh, a specific example about this that I've talked to Chinese leadership about. It was with Premier Li in China a couple of years ago saying, what is the reciprocity here? I mean, we have a company in Ohio that has come in. It's the largest glass automaker now in the world, I think, Fuyao, they're in Dayton, Ohio. They took over an old GM plant in, in Moraine. And uh, there's no 51% rule. There's no U.S. company that has to own 51% of this. This company's doing very well in Dayton, Ohio, and they're competing directly with American companies. So why should they be able to come and do that in America? And if we try to do it over there, the Chinese say, no, 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 you've got to have a 51% Chinese partner and we're going to take your intellectual property. That's not fair. And by the way, they didn't really have an answer to it because, because it's just no, fundamentally they don't, they unfair. Don't. They don't have an answer, but, but then there's the broader question. And so while I think you make a very persuasive case, and, and frankly, I think a, a conservative case on China, then there are the tariffs that we've imposed on the EU, on Canada, and the threatened tariffs on Mexico. Now, each of those are separate cases. Some of them are more economic. The Mexico case is clearly very political, and we should also talk about new NAFTA. But this is, this is the concern that I think a lot of people have, looking not just at the president you know, as Donald Trump, but looking at the Republican Party behind him. You know, is this a new era of tariffs and protectionism? And what do you think about these other tariffs in these cases? Yeah, I, mean, I think there's a distinction that has to be made. And it's a difficult one to make because uh, this is all somewhat subjective. But what's f- about fairness and what's not? So our trade laws are based on a principle of fairness. If you are subsidizing a product and trying to sell it into America, that's counter to our laws and the international rules. If you are dumping it, I mean selling it below its cost, that's counter to international rules and our laws. That's how we do our trade cases. We have certain laws, including 301, and you know, including our basic trade laws that focus on this fairness issue. Then we have another law that's called Section 232. It's been used hardly at all, only a few times since the 1960s. The last time it was used before this administration would have been the late 1970s and 1980s with regard to oil. But it says that for national security purposes, we can just put tariffs in place, proving no unfairness, no surge of imports, no damage to American industry, 
no cheating, in other words, no subsidizing, right. no it's dumping. It's the great national security exception. It's the national security exception, and that's what we've misused. And so your references to those countries is exactly that issue, the 232 issue. Canada, Mexico, the whole world, really, the EU. So that's what I have said. I've said, look, I, I agree that we need to have laws in place that protect our workers, and I'm actually more aggressive on enforcement than the last couple of administrations have been, and I think we need to be. I'm the author of the Level the Playing Field Act, which helps us be more aggressive on protecting our rights. But it needs to be based on something, Danny. And if it's not based on fairness, this is what happens. Two things. One, the other countries retaliate aggressively. <laughs> Why? Because, you know... Because they're in the same business we are. Minivans from Canada are not a national security issue. We all know that. And so if you do that, Canada's going to be aggressive. And they have been. And they've really hurt Ohio products. Now we've resolved that issue on the steel and aluminum tariffs. And we need not go there on autos. But second is, if you don't base it on fairness... Ultimately, the World Trade Organization is going to step in and say this is illegal, and American workers and farmers and service providers ultimately get hurt more because we're about competition here, transparency, competition, and it's counter to our, our approach. So that's my concern with where we are, and that's why I have proposed legislation on 232 to change Oh, I want to ask you about that. Tighten it up. Make it truly about national security. I make it much harder for have a any say. president, not just this any president. president. Yeah, any it's president. It's not about this president, this any exception. president. Yeah. Do you think that legislation is going to pass? I think it could. I really do. You know, we're trying to get a hearing and a markup in committee right now, and the administration has not opposed my legislation. I'm not saying they love it. They have opposed other legislation that goes further that has Congress step in at the front. As opposed and, to a resolution of disapproval. Right. Which the is problem where, with the front is, and I get this, if there really is a national security issue, Congress is not a capable body to be able to <laughs> respond quickly, what? you know? What? <laughs> what? I can't. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but Congress should have a say in this, and we should narrow it by saying the Secretary of Defense has this opportunity to determine national security, not the Secretary of Commerce. Okay, so I glared at Mark a minute ago because I wanted to get a question in, and he yes. asked, and now I'm paying him back. But I have a really a quick yes. one because I want to ask you a libertarian question. Yes. Why do we care if other countries want to take the hard-earned tax dollars and income of their citizens and use it to sell American stuff that's cheaper? Do we really, is, aren't foreign subsidies for their goods? Yes, they're bad for competition. Yes, they make it harder for American companies. But the benefit that accrues to many, many more Americans is well, lower prices. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I suppose it, it's that's... a real question. It's a trade deficit as a consumption surplus. Right. We're, yeah. getting, we're, spend, we're getting right. more cheap stuff. Right. right. Yeah, I mean, I think, you, again, you have to believe in the doctrine of fairness. That ultimately, it's unfair to the worker in Ohio who is playing by the rules, competing fairly, to be told, you know what, we love your product you're making, which is a washing machine made in Ohio. But Not guess, to be specific about but, it. But guess what? We're going to instead allow the Koreans to come in here, or the Japanese, or the Chinese, or whoever, the, the, the Vietnamese, and sell a product that's subsidized and dumped, in other words, sold it below its cost, right. to gain market share. If you're a libertarian, you shouldn't like that either because you know what happens is that once they get through the lost leader, the market, and they get the U.S. company out of business, then they raise the prices. Right, then they've, exactly got, then they've got happens. a grip on them. Well, that's, but, a, good, that's a good argument. So, but to push back on Danny, the country is Mark. moving in the opposite direction of what Danny just suggested. Right. And it is, I want to ask you this specifically because you're a free trader who has successfully won re-election repeatedly in a state like Ohio mm -hmm. that has a lot of manufacturing workers, a lot mm -hmm. of working class people who are affected by trade. So... It seems like in the 2016 election, working class voters who felt they weren't being represented by either party stood up and said, we're going to be heard. And they elected Donald Trump to send a message to both parties in Washington, but particularly the Republican Party. I'm a free trader for a long time. 
but they seem to be saying that we want you to take the rough edges off of this free trade stuff that's hurting our jobs. And there's an argument, if you go back to FDR, that at the time that he did the New Deal, capitalism was really kind of in crisis, and there were a lot of workers who were being affected by yeah. dislocations. And you could argue that the New Deal saved capitalism, mm -hmm. because by creating a social safety net, that it, it prevented us from going further towards socialism at the time. Mm -hmm. I feel, Mark's, I feel Mark's next column coming on. <laughs> <laughs> so you but, really need so, to give a deep, thoughtful answer here but, so we can get the full 800 words. <laughs> but um, and, and, a lot, and today, it seems to be the same things happening with free trade, that by taking some of the rough edges off of free trade, having some protectionist uh, measures to protect American workers, President Trump might be preserving free trade in a way that it, there could be a real backlash against free trade. Otherwise, I mean, a lot of the people who are objecting to what Trump is doing sound like the people who are saying social security, that's socialism. You can't have social security. You can't take care of old people. Do we as free market, free enterprise conservatives need to be a little bit more accommodating to the idea of some protectionism in order to save the free trading system? Yes, but I wouldn't call protectionism. I mean, I, as you know, I've put myself kind of in the middle of this. So uh, you call me a free trader. Others would say, you know, I'm, I'm more of a balanced trade person. That's what I call it. Sure. Because when I was at USTR, you know, my focus was enforcement. It has been since. I'm the author, again, of the Level the Playing Field Act and other measures to be sure we're actually aggressively enforcing our own trade laws and the international standards. Because I agree with you totally. This system only works when people think it's fair. Not just free, but fair. And that was Donald Trump's edge in the election, yeah. by the yeah. way. It the really problem was. is he has gone, in terms of 232, beyond the fairness into misusing a tool that mm -hmm. was meant strictly for true national security issues. So that's the balance, I think. you got to find that balance. But I think you're absolutely right. I think people need to know that if you're a farmer or you're a worker or you're a service provider, in Ohio, you need to know that your government's looking out for you. And it doesn't mean that, you know, you get to sit back and enjoy protectionism. It means that you have to work hard. You have to compete. And you have to be willing to compete with anybody, but through a level playing field. And, you know, again, it's sort of subjective. I understand that. What is fairness? What is level playing field? But that is precisely what we ought to be doing, is being more aggressive in enforcing the trade laws, making sure that the fairness doctrine is upheld so that people view this as a good deal for them and their families. Do you think, I'm going to ask you a political question, do you think that those working class voters in Ohio and other states that Trump won, particularly also in Pennsylvania, you've got Michigan, you've got a lot of working class uh, voters in those states, do you think that they're happy with the way that the president's fighting for them? Do they feel that he's fighting for them? Or do they, is he going to win re-election, in your estimate? Or, oh, or is he going to win Ohio? Or does, he, or does he have a problem with someone like Joe Biden or some of these other people coming in to try to win those voters back? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to generalize. If you're a farmer in Ohio today, you know, you're hurting for a lot of reasons. The weather, the tariffs, low prices already, even before President Trump came in. But you're concerned about a resolution. One reason we need to get the U.S.-Mexico agreement done, which is the USMCA, which is the new NAFTA, is because that will provide some opportunity to sell more of our products to Canada and Mexico, which is our biggest markets in Ohio, by the way, including agriculture products, because we need to have some positive development here in terms of opening up markets. Because the one thing that I think this administration has not yet done successfully, and I think they really want to do it, is to not just enforce our trade laws, be tougher on China, but open up new markets. That's why a trade agreement with Japan or with the UK 
which I'm working on, or getting the USMCA done is so important. So that, I think, is going to determine some of the way some Ohioans, workers and farmers, feel about this is, okay, we get it. They're not playing fair, but when do we have a chance to sell more of our stuff? So what's the over-under on getting the USMCA done this year? I think it's going to get done for a very simple reason, which is logic will ultimately prevail. Maybe I'm, what, um, what, I'm, what? I'm the Wait, optimist what? around here. Maybe I'm <laughs> Wait, let, let, this, this is going to be our headline. But logic will ultimately prevail it in the U.S. Congress. It is such a much better agreement for Democrats than NAFTA, and that's the alternative. I mean, if you're a Democrat, you essentially are voting for NAFTA if you vote no on USMCA. Why? Because you go back to the status quo, which is NAFTA. NAFTA will be the status quo. And it has no enforcement on labor standards. It has no enforcement on environmental standards. This new agreement, in every respect, is better if you're a Democrat. And by the way, I'm for it too, because we needed to update it. And there's some good things in there. There's things I'm not wild about. But overall, on balance, it's a, it's a better agreement for Ohio. But for a Democrat, you know, it's everything that they've been asking for in terms of improving the, 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 the NAFTA accord. The so if they the vote no, the media needs to hold them to a standard, which is, wait a minute, <laughs> this well, has a, all the stuff a, you said you wanted. That will be our second headline. The media needs to hold somebody to a standard. That, uh, yeah. I'm waiting for that one. And then, and then B, the problem for the Democrats, of course, is anything that Donald Trump supports is, is, is something that they're Danny, I'm going to gonna leave it up to you and Mark to make that case. I can see the next piece <laughs> in column right now. But it's true. I mean, you yeah. look at the details of this agreement. I mean, there's a minimum wage in Mexico for auto workers. That's not a Republican approach. But it's very helpful for auto workers because guess what? The ITC, the International Trade Commission, has said, independent body, this is going to add tens of thousands of more auto jobs to America. I mean, the, the, the rules of origin, where you have to have more things made in North American countries, including on automobiles, that's something Democrats have been asking for for years. That's in the agreement. Again, the labor standards, they're not only higher standards, but they're enforceable. That's in the agreement. So these are all things. <laughs> so I think ultimately we're, we're gonna, it we, we gets passed. We have an exit question for yeah, you, It though. gets passed ultimately. Last, last election. And yes, on Ohio and Donald Trump, I think he will win Ohio again. Well, magic, music to his ears. Um, last exit question for you, because I know you've got to go and vote. Last election, two candidates, Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, opposed the Trans-Pacific Partnership, mm -hmm, right, mm -hmm. an agreement with our Asian mm -hmm. allies. They opposed TTIP, uh, mm -hmm. a trade agreement with our European allies. Mm -hmm. Both of them came out. Are our political parties headed, generally speaking, in the wrong direction on trade, in your opinion? Well, since the Depression, all of our presidents have been generally free traders, Democrats and Republicans alike. But we really and want another Depression. So. It's served our country well. It has. It's served our country well. So we need to be careful. And again, I think the Trump administration is evolving. If we can get the Canada-Mexico agreement done, that would be very positive. If we can get an agreement uh, with the Chinese on this ongoing negotiation. If we're 10 percent, if you only have 10 percent to go, 90 percent of the way there, we can get that done. So then I think we turn to how do you open up more markets, which is you know ultimately what we ought to be doing. And that's what presidents have done. By the way, if we have a trade agreement with another country, it's generally good for us. We actually have a trade surplus in the aggregate with those countries with whom we have a trade agreement. Think about that. We have a huge trade deficit. We have a trade surplus with those countries. We send 48% of U.S. exports to 10% of the world. That 10% of the world is where we have a trade agreement. So trade agreements aren't bad. In the aggregate, they're good. We need more of them because it opens up markets for Ohio farmers, Ohio workers, service providers, 
And I think that's where the administration will go next, because they're talking about an agreement with Japan, agreement with, with the UK, and so on. So that, that will be more positive. Let's hope that they're listening, and let's hope that Nancy Pelosi is listening when it comes to the USMCA. Senator. It's in her interest. This is awesome, though. Don't you wish you heard conversations like this all the time on the news? Well, you can hear conversations like this all the time by listening to what the hell is going on. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks I'm so glad much. to have found out what the hell's going on. I know. <laughs> we know. <laughs> Thanks Thank a ton. So the first thing I really want to say about Rob Portman, who I've known a really long time, which is why I call him Rob Portman and not Senator, is that it's really, really good to have a conversation with somebody who's serious about the facts. This isn't the kind of nasty cant tinged with racism, tinged with xenophobia that you get from too many people. I won't name names because Mark's looking at me with unbelievable trepidation if you could see him. But too many people, especially on the Republican side, where this is a serious conversation about what people are doing to take advantage of the global trading system. And I think he laid that out really well. Well, I think people are taking advantage of us. China is taking advantage of us. Right. And and he explained in a very clear way about how China is doing that and why, quite frankly, the president has taken the right steps to address that imbalance. He he has a little bit more of a problem with using it for, say, you know, immigration issues with Mexico or for using it on non-trade issues. But, you know, the reality is that the president understands, and we've had this conversation several times on the podcast, that he knows what his leverage is. And you, if you want to get things done, you know, we've, we've had these trade problems with China for over three administrations, uh, one of which I worked in, and we didn't solve it. No, and, okay, and, fine. And so, you know, but, but you know what drives me crazy? Everybody seems to think that we are in a moment and that this moment has absolutely nothing to do with the next moment. When we talked about Barack Obama, we said, okay, Barack Obama, you want to run your presidency like an empire, you want to run the administrative state like it is your fiefdom and ignore Congress, it's going to come back and bite you in the rear end. And of course it did, because the second that he was out of office, Donald Trump ripped up the Iran deal and Congress stopped all of his regulations and all of that was great. But the problem is Donald Trump is doing exactly the same thing. You don't like it. And Portman doesn't like it, and I don't like it, when he threatens the Canadians with tariffs and when we, he levies tariffs on our, our friends for no good, you know, for fake national security reasons. But what people forget is the next president may not be Donald Trump, and he or she is going to be able to do exactly the same thing, except it's going to be for global warming or for women's rights or because you looked at me funny at the G20 meeting last week. I, you know, and, and that's, not a, that's not the way a serious countries run. Well, I'll tell you, Danny, you know, we both worked for a boss many years ago, Jesse Helms, who everybody went to set their hair on fire when he couldn't get his bills through the Senate. He would say, "Okay, guess what? No more ambassadors, no more bilateral trade deals until you sit down and negotiate with me. And I don't see much difference between what Donald Trump is doing and what our boss did and what we did when we were working on that committee, using the leverage he had as chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee to get the government to to be responsive. Because that was a one way street. That's number one. Number two, he was defending actually prerogatives of the Senate that were both Democrat and Republican. Well, Donald and, Trump is defending the prerogatives of the United States of America, which is that our intellectual property is not so stolen you, from you us. Support. And our intellectual property is not stolen. I'm talking about China. Our intellectual property yeah, okay. should not be stolen we agree from about us. China. And, and I'll tell you, we didn't get into this with uh, Senator Portman, so it's not a little bit unfair to him to bring it into the conversation. But <laughs> That's what this is to, all about, is us being way <laughs> smarter when no one's in the room to disagree with fairness, us. Right? Exactly. But that when it comes to Mexico, you know, I had, we had a great event here 
here at AEI with Roger Noriega the other day, and he had the former Mexican ambassador here. And the Mexican ambassador was explaining how the deal's working. He's like, we're, we're basically enforcing Mexican law. We're securing our border for the first time. We're sending troops down to the border. And I said to him, with all respect, you weren't doing that a few weeks ago. And what did he say? It was only- What did he say? He, he granted me the point. And we're going to have him on the podcast soon to yeah, talk no, about this. Be, but that's another be... that's another topic. But here's the larger question that we sort of just got into with uh, Senator Portman, and I want to raise it with you, is that we're both free traders. We believe in the global trading system. We think that free trade is good for America. It's it's wait wait. Are you are you let's let's take his locution. Are you a free trader or are you a fair trader? Well, here's the thing. I'm a free trader who's becoming a fair trader, mm. and here's why, because I think that the system is in crisis. The global trading system is in crisis because you have a lot of people, the tech companies and the high-skilled workers and everything like that are doing great under it, but the low-skilled workers in this country are not. And they're... Mark Thiessen, man of the people. Well, you know, the... the, 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 the <laughs> Well, Rob Portman's a man of the people because he represents those folks. Well, no, he, and, he, he and, represents Ohio. I know. You represent Alexandria. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I wish you Here's guys could point. see Mark's face. Here's What's the your point? point? Can, I, can we make our point, please? I, Thank you. I didn't stop so, you. Which is that the free trading system is not working for everybody in this country. And those voters stood up in the last election and said, enough. The establishment of the Republican Party, establishment of the Democratic Party is not representing me, and I'm going to send somebody to Washington who will. And we have to have a little bit of humility in listening to the message that they sent us. And if we want to preserve the free trading system, we have to take care of those people. Yeah. No, listen, you're totally right. And Thank and you. I guess I would put it— Could you say that again? Yeah. Mark Thiessen, totally right. Thank you. Let me add, Thank you. for once. But, <laughs> no, no, look, the, the, the thing of it is that I agree with you that sometimes you've got to sort of hit the brakes yeah. and say, this system is not actually working the way it was intended to work. The Chinese are corrupting it. Others are corrupting it. The WTO is not adjudicating things in a way that is actually fixing it. And it's not wrong to turn around and say, for example, about NAFTA, because we haven't talked a ton about that, to say, you know what? NAFTA is 30 years ago, 25 years ago. Guess what? It needs updating. It needs changing. It needs refreshing. It needs to address things that we didn't even think about at that point when it got negotiated. I am all for that. The problem for me is this transition between free and fair, because what fair means to you and to me and to that guy in Ohio who lost his job is not the same as what fair means to Marine Le Pen or Jeremy Corbyn or Elizabeth Warren or Ilhan Omar. And when you start using loaded words like that, you end up in a very different situation. The rules of the game start changing in ways that are unanticipated. Well, That's what I worry about. Or use balanced as opposed to fair. Yeah, and, but here's the fundamental problem. And I want to go back further than 20 years in NAFTA, but let's look at a little bit of history. That we don't believe as conservatives in unfettered capitalism. We believe in some regulation, right? right. So we, we're not completely laissez-faire and let the chips no, fall. No, and we believe may. in the public good. And so when you had, we're entering a period of time where there's going to be a massive disruption of the economic system on par with the Industrial Revolution. And when the people, we've got AI coming, you've got automation, you've got a lot of jobs that are going to be at stake and a lot of difficult transitions. As free enterprise people, we believe that ultimately everybody's going to be better off from that, but it's going to be a difficult transition. The last time we had that transition in the Industrial Revolution, the result was socialism. Karl Marx and Engels came up with this genius idea that then ended up resulting in the enslavement of half the world and 100 million people getting killed in the 20th century. And when FDR came into office, 
there was a real push towards socialism in our you country. Talked we talked about this with, with Senator with Portman. Right. And that FDR, by creating a social safety net, by creating some protections for workers in their old age, by creating some, and by softening the hard edges of capitalism, probably saved capitalism. Because the alternative wasn't the unfettered capitalism, it was socialism. And so now we're getting to another inflection point, Danny. Donald where, Trump. Savior of capitalism. Well, no, but Donald Trump may be savior of free trade because the free trading system, the global trading system, we're now going into a similar period of time. And guess what? Socialism is on the rise again. If you watch the Democratic debates, if you listen to the millennials and what they think about that. Don't say, depress is, me. Well, I'm sorry. I'm here to depress you. So we as so <laughs> every day of the week. <laughs> so we as conservatives have to recognize that we can't just be automatons defending free trade. Okay, we have to last be able thing. To... Exit question. I agree with you. We shouldn't be automatons. We should have some more imagination. And you're right. The challenges are real. And in terms of reliving history, there's no question. This looks much more actually the like the alternative 19- is protectionism. Well, the, Real protectionism. This, this looks not like this. the bad old days of the 1930s. The thing no, that really, wor- but hang on. But the thing that really worries me is that I think that the balanced way that Senator Portman sees it, the balanced way that I've talked about it in a few moments of lucidity, you talked about it. You, <laughs> we balanced way that I talked about it. I, the, I think I up a contrast here. I, yes. Well, I, I'm not actually. I'm going with. Look, what worries me is that the Republican Party is drifting away from its moorings, its conservative moorings, and to a certain extent, the the reason libertarian attitude towards the economy. We do better when people are freer. We do better when people are less regulated. And by the way, we do better when we can buy things that are cheaper from foreigners as well. We don't want to be making all the TVs in this country. This is the problem of Donald Trump and, and some of his advisors. That's what worries me about the party because the party has been in many ways, lockstep behind him. In you know, that's a much deeper conversation. I'm really looking forward to finding somebody who's going to go over that with us. But uh, that's what worries me is that the reasonable part that we've talked about today is, I think, the tip of the iceberg, and there's a whole unbelievable Titanic disaster underneath the iceberg. So what I worry about, we got to wrap up. People are going to stop listening to us. No, they're not. They're, they're, <laughs> what I'm worried about. Yes, you are. <laughs> what I am worried about is that the alternative to what Trump is proposing is real protectionism and socialism. And that if we don't take steps to protect workers and to soften the edges of unfair capitalism, we sound like, if we, we've, too many conservatives today, we sound like the guys who in, uh, during FDR say we're thundering in the Senate, social security is socialism. We can't have socialism in this country. We have to recognize, I would much rather have the new NAFTA, as you call it, the USMCA, which, as Senator Portman pointed out, is a bill Democrats should support because yeah, of great fine. worker protections and other things like that that are not free, not as conservatives, we probably would oppose. We need some more of that in order to protect the free trading relationship we have with Mexico. That's why we got to pass the USMCA. If he could get a deal like that with Japan and a deal like that with the EU, I'd be all for that as well. As per usual, we're going to wrap up this podcast with Mark being the glass half full and Danny being the glass mostly empty person in this relationship. Only if it includes liquor. <laughs> That's true. Next time, next time with cocktails. Hey, thank you all for listening again. We've really enjoyed this. Thanks to Rob Portman for joining us. He was a fantastic guest and a really good explainer. Absolutely. And our team here at AEI is Alexa Santry, Matt Weinset, Jen Moretta, and Macy Heath. Let us know what topics you'd like us to cover. You can get in touch with the show by emailing us at whatthehell at AEI.org. Or you can reach us on Twitter. I'm at D Pletka. And I'm at Mark Thiessen. That's Mark with a C. Please rate and review the podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe, share it 
comment on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to this. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.